0: Our reading today is from the book of Genesis, and it's chapter 12, verses 10 to 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had.
1: In front of you, everyone. Now, we're um, just starting in this new series this morning, where we're going to explore chapters 12 to 50 of um, Genesis over the next, I think it's about eight weeks, with one week where we're doing something a little bit different. Um, So over the last couple of Sundays, we've spent time in what leads up to this, just reacquainting ourselves with Genesis uh, chapter 1 to 11. And then Graham last week um, explained to us what came just before this, the covenant that God made with Abram. Um, So in case it's a little bit confusing at this point, uh, we often talk about Abraham, same guy, he just hasn't had his name changed yet. Likewise, his wife is Sarai, and her name will eventually be changed to be Sarah, so if if you find me flipping in between the names, don't be confused, I'm talking about the same guy, let's pray that it makes sense. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, that we can come to your word, Lord, any part of your word we come to, we know that it's useful, Lord, we know that it teaches us, Lord, that it corrects our wrong thought, Lord, that it rebukes our, our sinful hearts, and Father, Lord, that it trains us in the righteousness that you've shown in our lives. Lord, we know that you've got a life for us to lead of, of works of service for you. So, Lord, equip us by this part of your word today and in every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Last uh, weekend, we were away. We, we sp- spent four days camping. Um, and there was this beautiful moment on Saturday morning where I, I woke to the slight pitter-patter sound of rain on our tent. And I was like, oh, that's sweet, isn't it? You're not used to that, that sound? But then when we woke up a couple of hours later, it was pretty set in rain. And then we made breakfast and um, fluffed about for a few hours and it just kept raining. And then eventually we did the big retreat And we dashed into Grafton and went to the movies for the morning to try to get out of it. We did the big retreat because we were just like, we're not sitting around in this all day. What's even this about? Now, we did have some nice um, nice weather while we were away. But I don't know, have you ever done something like that? You kind of think, this is where we are, this is what we're doing. And then, oh, it's not going the way we want it. Sudden change of plans and we're just out of there. Similar thing seems to be happening at the start of this. Abram has just been had this incredible encounter with God and God's told him to go to this land and he's gone to this land and he's up in this land and then all of a sudden there's a famine in this land. And he's like, I'm not hanging around here. Shoofs off to Egypt to get away from the famine. Let's just remember where Abram is right now. It says in verse 10 that there was famine in the land. This is the land that God's shown him, that God has promised to him. Back in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, go from your country, your people, to your father's household, to the land I will show you. And verse 4 tells us that Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And then it tells us in verse 7 The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And so then he puts up an altar there and worships God. Abram is actually at this point fleeing the land that God has given to him, that God has led him to. Right at the outset, Abram is taking things into his own hands, taking his life into his own hands. Now just think, in light of these amazing promises that God has only just made to him, it's a pretty dumbfounding kind of thing. Like I said, over the last couple of weeks, we've delved in to the background to these accounts, and and Genesis 1 and 2, right at the start, gives us the picture of this beautiful relationship between God and people in this perfectly ordered world that God had created. But like we remember, Adam and Eve, they doubt God. They take life into their own hands. And what we see is the ugly result of sin, a downward spiral. And then, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, they introduce us to the beautiful covenant promises of God. So just hold that in your mind for a moment. Just reflect on those three things. The sheer beauty of what God did in creating. The sheer ugliness that comes with sin. The mess that it makes. And then think about the sheer beauty of how God responds. What's God going to do with a world in a downward spiral of sin? Well, he makes a threefold promise. Makes Abram the father of a great nation. The promise of a land for them to dwell in. The promise of a blessing to all people. It's a promise of restoration. And when you think about this, it's going to be all of God's grace. This is God acting out of grace. He's not giving anyone what they deserve. But instead, like it reminds us in the second part of chapter 12 verse 3, All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God is seeking restoration. Now, I've been using some words and I'm seeding them into this because I really want us to to understand it in this way. In these next seven or so talks from Genesis, I want to unpack how this plays out. The, The beauty of the thing that plays out what I'm hoping that we'll grow in and be challenged by and confronted by and encouraged by is God's faithfulness and goodness and his faithfulness to his own goodness and how that results in blessing. And as the beauty of God's goodness flows out, what we're going to see is the flaws, the, the, the sheer ugliness of the human heart, is actually laid bare. And as we come to these passages and see them, seeing them how God's grace works, we actually see that it's God's grace is the only thing that brings transformation. It's the engine room of all transformation. And we come to them as followers of Christ and we can see these things in a fuller way. So let's get back into this account of Abram and Sarai in Egypt. I've already highlighted the first perplexing thing. The first perplexing thing that at the first sign of trouble, a famine, Abram's out of there. You might think, what is Abram thinking? You might wonder, is Abram even thinking at all? So far he had actually shown obedience. In chapter 12 verse 4 we read that uh, Abram went, just as the Lord had told him. But having already been obedient to once, he's kind of already fumbling. He's going away from the promised land. And, and in doing that, he's actually created another problem. You see, he's got a problem and it's the beauty of his wife, Sarai. Now, you might think that's not a problem, having a beautiful wife. Wouldn't he want a beautiful wife? Wouldn't his wife want to be considered beautiful by him? Who doesn't want their wife to be thought of as beautiful? But that's not at the heart of this. He's worried that when he gets there, they will see her and that they'll want to knock him off so that they can marry her for himself, so that his wife can be stolen from them. It's the downward spiral again, the downward spiral of disobedience. And you just going to look at this and you think, Abraham, you total buffhead. Why didn't you just stay put in Canaan? You're creating problems for yourself now. Why didn't you just keep trusting the God that's already clearly provided, giving you this land? We asked the question, has he already forgotten the promises that God had made? And at this point, you can see clearly that that the way he's acting is out of fear instead of out of trust. He's acting out of fear instead of out of trust. Just bank that thought, and we'll come and revisit that in a second. Because we've got to keep following the story, and, and, and what Adam Abram comes up with next is, is actually a pretty awful plan. Pick it up in verse 13 with me. He says, "Your beauty is actually a threat to me, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to use you to save my skin." Now husbands, that's not a good idea. Just in case you're not sure, it's not a good idea. His wife is being treated like property like someone to be used. Just think for a second, what's he think of his marriage to her if he can just do that? And so we look over verse 14 and 15 and it plays out just like he planned. He goes to Egypt. They see that she's beautiful. He says, my sister, she's taken into the Pharaoh's palace. And in verse 16, we see that Abram, he's treated well for her sake all of a sudden he's getting sheep and cattle and donkeys and servants and camels don't forget the camels and you kind of just think they've taken his wife she's been added to the harem of wives that, that the pharaoh has now and here he is with all this stuff and he's kind of like going well i saved my skin i saved her life maybe he's thinking that i got all this stuff and we just got to look at it and go what the heck All this talk of Sarai's beauty, but really what's on display is Abram's ugly heart. Abram's ugly heart. It's a a juxtaposition. They've got food, sure. They're safe, sure. And Abram has a swag of riches, but hang on. They're not in the promised land anymore. His wife's now with another man which is wrong in itself. But also, there was that other promise, wasn't there? That he would be a father of many nations. Now, you're not going to father many people without a wife. Takes two to tango, doesn't it? How is the promises meant to come to pass now? And so, of course, we see in verse 17 that God steps in. Verse 17 tells us, But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. God steps in in a big way and all the dots are joined and, and Pharaoh. Um, oh. I've got to read this again. I, I tricked myself here. God steps in in a big way and all the dots, dots are joined and Pharaoh sees everything that's going on and he just goes and slaughters everyone, doesn't he? No, that's not what happened. It confused me too. No, he sees what's going on and he lets them go. He sends them on their way and out of this they're reunited as husband and wife and they get to take all the camels and the servants and everyone that they've been everything that abram had been given and out of this god saves them and then he blesses them now blokes here who are married have you ever been out somewhere and you've said or done something stupid or embarrassing we're probably going to get a hundred percent strike rate on this But then, you've got to drive home. What's that car ride home like? What's the conversation in the front seat actually like? Can you imagine what Abram would have copped as they headed all the way back to Canaan? And yet, I'm speculating, but I don't know if that would have actually rated a mention. Because they'd actually have something far bigger to discuss. Because out of all this, God saves them and blesses them. Graham last week introduced the covenant promises of God and he pointed out that Abram, he was the son of a pagan nobody. He probably wasn't wasn't poor, but he was no one really. And this is really at the heart of this. There's nothing about Abram, nothing at all that caused God to choose to work through him. Now, I think these verses show us that so clearly because at the first hurdle, a famine, yes, it was a severe famine, but that's kind of not the point. At the first hurdle, he acts completely out of fear. And Abram, as you read this, does this time and time and time and time and time again. This is actually the first of two times that Abram tries us to pass off Sarai as his wife. He will do this again. And even his own son Isaac does it a bit later on. Three times between here and the end of Genesis, you see a pattern of this happening. Trying to pass your wife off as your sister. It's just bizarre, isn't it? But it just reinforces to us what God's grace is like. What he's choosing is like, what he's bringing people to him is like. It's reminding me of like when people take in a stray animal. I don't know if you've ever taken in a stray animal. Tara often speaks fondly of the strays that she took in. Tara, my wife, would talk about the stray, particularly cats. She even told me last night one time she took in a stray and thought it would make a good uh, anniversary present for her parents, which go figure, but the thing about taking an a stray animal is they come in completely scared. I mean, they're basically feral, aren't they? And it's only as trust is developed, as trust is built, that they might become part of that. Isn't that what it's like here? Isn't that the picture... Wait for that. So, isn't that the picture of the ugliness of the sinner's heart that we act out of fear instead of trust? As you follow Jesus, how often do you find yourself taking life into your own hands and doing that out of fear and doing that in place of patient trust in God? It's a truly ugly thing and I think we all do it to an extent. I do it. I bet you do it too. But we need to realise that that is not following Jesus. When we behave and live in that way, it's not following Jesus, and so I'm going to call it out. It is ugly. And the reason it's so ugly is that because it fails to account for and recognize the most beautiful thing that has been revealed into our lives, which is the grace of God. Which is the grace of God. Just hold your hands out in front of you for a moment. Everyone do this, and have a really good look at them. Now, you can do a whole lot with your hands warm yourself up. You can do a whole lot with your hands. Now, hold them together like you might be praying. See, because we can pray to our faithful God, it often means that we don't need to take matters into our own hands. We don't need to sort stuff out nearly as much as I suspect we do now God has given us things for us to do with our hands I don't want to confuse anyone here we're not just to be people that are praying and that's all that we do God's given stuff for us to do but far too often our hands metaphorically are getting stuck in trying to figure stuff out instead of praying this is where the shift actually happens this is where we will stop acting in that way. It's as we know that as a believer in Jesus, we are adopted children of God. That means that we are in his hands. You and I in Jesus are in his hands. Just to continue the metaphor, it's because of Jesus' hands being stretched out and nailed for our ugly sinfulness, that we have this relationship, that we have this different way to live. Know too, that in his grace, he is patient as we do this, as we make these mistakes, as we be like Abram and just take stuff into our own hands when we ought to. And so finally, know that you're plumbing the depths of grace as a Christian relationship with God is built on grace and so it will be constantly about plumbing the depths of his grace and as that happens it reveals to us the goodness and faithfulness and trustworthiness of God and that trustworthiness and goodness and faithfulness is absolutely off the charts it is incomprehensibly beautiful Sarah might have been a good-looking wife of Abram But that beauty has nothing on the true beauty of the goodness of God. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews picks this up. And as he tells us the big picture of what Abram did, he tells tells it like this. This is in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham and builder is God. Now notice that there are no mentions of these failures. No mentions of his failures here. And if we look at verse 10 again, we see that in the big picture we realize that it was being built by God. Being built by God. Because that is the beautiful part of this. The letter to the Hebrews that we've just dived into was written to a bunch of Christians who used to be Jewish, who became Christians, who were now copying it for being Christians, who were going to go, well, it was much easier to be a Jew, so I'm just going to forget that Jesus junk and lead a a happy life. I'm going to lead a more comfortable, easier life where I'm not going to get so persecuted. They're ready to give up and go back so that they'll be being treated better. But that means abandoning the truth in place of protection. It is acting out of fear instead of acting out of trust. That's why the letter of Hebrews was written. Written to people ready to take things into their own hands. Chapter 11 that we've just jumped into serves up example after example after example of instead living faithfully. Living faithfully. The amazing thing about Abram, and the reason that Hebrews puts it this way is that like we've just picked on one little part of his life, but in the big scheme of his life, we will be told that, that Abraham did trust God as he learned to trust God, as he came into a deeper relationship with God, and that in trusting God, he was, it was credited to him as righteousness So it goes. The writer of Hebrews, as he, as he rounds out all these examples that he gives through that whole chapter, gets to chapter 12 and he says, it, he says what we need to think about doing as believers. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and, and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the author of your faith. Jesus Jesus is the perfecter of your faith. Jesus paid the price. He considered it joy even that you might have faith. So we're invited, as we consider all this, to take a look at our own hearts and realise that God doesn't look at the ugliness of our sin and condemn us. No, no. He steps in and saves us. He steps in and saves us. Our story is told the way Abram's story is told by God, with the sin blotted out, because that's what Jesus did. And our story shows us that God can be trusted. So what are we to do? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, I hope I haven't offended any of you saying that we're all ugly people. I actually hope that we realise that. Because as we, it's only as we embrace that reality that we really plumb the depths of God's grace and goodness to us. As, as each of us are constantly tempted, maybe we're tempted to give up this because it's too hard, but we can be tempted by so many things. Persecution for the Hebrews, just fear of the circumstances for Abram. Could be any number of things for you. Tempted to be impatient, tempted to give up for a whole bunch of reasons. No, fix your eyes on Jesus. Use your hands to pray, not to just try to work it out. Because it doesn't matter how ugly we might be, we, we are the recipients of the beautiful, trustworthy grace of God. Take 30 seconds before I pray, close your eyes if it helps, and just reflect on, on what we've thought about this morning. And then I'll close this out in prayer. Our good Father, we thank you for what you did in sending your son Jesus for us. Lord, thank you for his attitude to the cross. Lord, thank you that he took it on. And Lord, thank you that he is seated at your right hand so that we know that what he did to blot out our sin. Lord, he's effective because he is in that position where he rules over us. And so, Father, help us to have eyes fixed on him. Help us to keep considering what he did and not grow weary and not lose heart. Lord, we thank you for our Bibles that give us warts and all, depictions of the people that you've worked through. And, Father, lead us always away from temptation to to pretty up our lives and Lord lead us toward humility and, and toward being truthful Lord that, that we might constantly realise that it's not in our own strength that we're your children but it's out of your grace that we're your children And Lord as we lead those lives in community with one another Lord help us to be built up And Lord, really help us to be potent to those that don't know you. Lord, that they might see that to come to you as a broken and messy person, a broken person with a messy life, Lord, is is exactly as you take us. And Lord, that no one's brokenness or mess is beyond your grace. So Father, we, we pray these words. And Lord, we pray them even with with doubts or with confusion or lack of understanding. Lord, we know that we can pray them because it's the message that you've given to us. Lord, teach us to trust in your promises always and see the true beauty of them. In Jesus' name, amen.